We're in a series this morning called Generosity, and we're asking God that he would use the gifts on the inside of us to change the world that we live in. And as we're in this series called Generosity, we want to encourage you as this title of this morning's message is the key. This is the key to changing your life right here this morning. Amen? This is the key. This is what it's going to take to get you over the threshold. And so as we're in this series called Generosity, the goal of this series is not to get you to give. The goal of this series is to get you to receive a gift. It's to get you to receive a gift from God because Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. Many of us have tried to go freely give when we haven't freely received, amen? Today I want you to receive a gift from God. I want you to receive whether it be a gift of generosity where you're able to give and use the talents and giftings on the inside of you. Some of you have such a great gift of prayer, but because you don't have the gift of generosity, you've had the opportunity to pray for somebody in Walmart, but you let nerves take over, amen? And you didn't use your gift of prayer because you were hindered without having the gift of generosity. It's my heart that you would receive the gift of generosity. So if you got the gift of prophecy, you'll freely prophesy. So if you have the gift of service, you'll freely serve. So if you have the gift of contributions, you'll give generously as we're about to read. The heart of this series is to get you to receive a gift. And the Bible says this in Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. And I'm going to read starting in 6. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So we all have different gifts, but there's a grace given to us to use them. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion with our faith, if service in our serving... The one who teaches in his teaching and the one who exhorts in exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. And our heart, this series, is generosity. And I love this, how God puts serving right up there with prophecy in the same verses. He puts giving and contributions right up there with teaching in the same verses. And so I want you to use the gift that God has given you generously and let it flow inwardly. Uh, out of your life to an outward circumstance. And the other second uh, main thing about this series that we're going to do is we're going to break the spirit of mammon off your life. Amen. That is where you trust in riches and trust in the things of this world rather than trust in God himself, not the things of God and God himself. Amen. And so we're going to break that off of you throughout this series so you can be free to live generously without the worry of where, where's my next thing coming from. Amen. You got a God who is all sufficient and can supply all things and do it simultaneously. What are you worried about the next gift? <laughs> Come on. He's got an abundance. And so that's the heart of us for this series that we're in. And then we wrapped up the last series. And we want you to receive a gift of generosity. Because in the last series that we did called CSI, Christ Scene Investigation, we talked about the power that there is in a witness. And when you witness something amazing, there is great power and testimony in it. But God called you more than to be a witness. He called you to be evidence. Evidence of a touch of his grace. Evidence of a touch of his healing. Because when you are a witness carrying the power now of evidence, when people that cannot see or have the faith to receive from God something spiritual, they can walk up to you in the physical and say, if God did it in Aaron and Megan Hannah's marriage, he can do it in mine. Can I get an amen? If God did it in Jeff and Amy T. Meyer's finances, he can do it in mine. Amen? If God did it in Victoria and Jacoby's kids, he can do it in mine. Amen? And so they may not can believe in something unseen, but when you become physical evidence, they can believe in the scene. And when they see you as physical evidence, you now carry the power of a witness with physical evidence that will transform the world that we live in. So we want you to be physical evidence of the generosity of God. I, I'm going to challenge you in this, and I didn't say this first service. I'm going to challenge you in this. When you go in public this week, whether it's Walmart or whether it's a football game, whether it's the grocery store or a convenience store, pray with one person. 
whether you know them or you don't. Ask your cashier, sister, how can I pray for you today? You want to change the frown upside down at a grocery store cashier? Ask them how you can pray for them. They're so tired of people griping at them. You be generous this week. Say, how can I pray for you? Or, or why don't you just walk up to them and say, dang, you look good today. You are doing good. I'll I, I just testimony in my own life. This happened this past week. Same cashier. If I go in the morning between uh, 8 and noon, the same cashier. I always check out with her. She doesn't believe in Christ. She's of a different uh, faith altogether. And I know this because she's told me. And man, she is just, she is so pleasant every time I talk to her. And I said, I just want to bless you. Can I buy you a Coke? And her face lit up. And she said, oh, baby, we can't receive gifts. I said, we'll receive this gift. I'm praying for you, and I'm asking God to move in your life in a real and mighty way. And her whole countenance changed. And she's not even a believer in what we call faith in Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you, I'm going to be evidence of the power of God. And I'm going to change the world that I live in. And so I'm going to challenge you, when you're in public this week, do something with the gift that God's been giving you and let people see the evidence of your generosity that you have. And so when we want to be generous, we want God to use us with this gift of generosity. I want you to plan on being generous. And a lot of people, when you think about money, because you don't plan on being generous, when the time comes to give generously, you're like, it's the biggest fight in your household rather than the biggest time of celebration. So be generous, but marry it to wisdom. Plan on being generous is what I'm saying. Budget in your finances to give. Plan on going to the public place this week to pray for somebody. Be wise in it. Be looking for your opportunity in generosity and watch what God begins to do through it. I love this quote by Winston Churchill. He says, we make a living by what we do. We make a life by what we give. We make a living by what we do. We make a life by what we give. Go make somebody's life. Go make your life. Go be generous and this morning, we're going to find out uh, how generosity works in, a, in an amazing way. And we're going to read a lot out of Genesis chapter 39. So begin to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39. And I'm going to challenge you at TWBC, bring your Bibles every single week. Whether it's electronic version on your phone, that I have mine on my phone. I also have the hard copy with me all the time. Or you just ha have it memorized. Begin to bring your Bible with you every week. Because in Walmart, the big screen's not above you. Amen? Oh, what is that verse Joel said? Let me look. <laughs> it's not there. All right, And if it does appear above your head, Lord, that's miracle signs and wonders. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe they can read the verse of Scripture right off the sign. But I want you to get, begin to be very familiar with your Bible and let it be the stronghold of your life. Genesis chapter number 39, verse 1. We're going to read the story of, the, of a man named Joseph. Joseph in the Old Testament is a prominent figure in the Old Testament of who God used to, to rise a man up and to get him to the place that preserved the nation that he was a part of. In Genesis 39, 1, it says this, Now Joseph, everybody say Joseph, had been brought to, down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh. So this, is, this man named Potiphar, he's not just a farmer, he's an officer of Pharaoh. He's high-ranking in society. He said, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Somebody give me an amen. amen. So Joseph found favor in the sight and in, in, the, in his sight. 
and made him, he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Some of you are wondering, why does God keep blessing this ungodly boss that I have? Because you're working for him. Come on. You're the changer in your workplace. Ask God's favor to rest upon your life. You're tired of working for an ungodly boss? Good, ask for more favor so you, run up and ri- so you rise up and run that company in a godly way. Amen. Come on, Pharaoh was not a godly man, but Joseph risen right up to underneath him and ran the whole country the way he wanted to for God's glory. Some of you need to do the same in your workplace. That's free. That's not even part of the message. That's generous, okay? The blessing of the Lord was on him and all that he had in his, in his field, in his house. And so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge because, he had no, um, because of him he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Man, that's an amazing scripture. And I'm going to tell you a little bit of the background of the story of Joseph. Joseph, when he was a young man, received the call of God on his life. God said, I'm going to rise you up, and even your brothers and your father will bow down to you. He did it in a couple dreams. Joseph runs off, tells his family. His family hated him for it. Everybody say they hated him. They hated him for it. And so when his family hated him for it, his brothers conspired a plan. I'm glad my brothers weren't quite this mean to me. His brothers conspired a plan to kill him. So they went out and they, they killed an animal and they brought a coat back to his daddy and said, Look, your son has been killed by a wild animal. They threw Joseph in a pit, planning on him to die. One brother had mercy. They pulled him out of the pit. They sold him into slavery uh, to some Ishmaelites that were passing by. The Ishmaelites bring him to Potiphar. Potiphar buys him and that's where the story picks up. That's the quick rundown. Start reading in Genesis 37. You can get the full story amen? amen and so in this we're now at the place of Potiphar where he has them and I want you to notice that notice the occupation and position in his life did not determine that Joseph would ultimately succeed in this life or not his current occupation and his current position in this life did not determine whether Joseph would ultimately succeed or not Joseph was a slave in the house of his master Potiphar who was captain in the Egyptian guard listen Slave with favor and slave with no favor, you're still a slave. All right? Listen, slave with favor means slave you can control your addiction and slave with no favor, slave you can't, you're still a slave to the addiction. Let God set you free. Okay? Slave is a slave and so he was a slave, but notice how occupation or status did not determine ultimately what would happen in his life. Some of you are in a place where you're bound right now, and if you'll do what Mitch said, Pastor Mitch said during worship, if you'll praise him freely with what you have, he'll break off the things that are keeping you bound. Amen. And he'll begin to set you free. And so Joseph, in the midst of what he had, he began to still use his gifts, and his position did not ultimately dictate what would happen to him in life. Listen, Joseph succeeded in everything that he did. He eventually became the prime minister of Egypt. Now listen, the key to Joseph's success, the key to Joseph's success was the presence of God in his life. And I'm going to say it a better way. The key to Joseph is God in his life. Because some of us, when we, the minute we say success, we get a wrong focus. Our mind immediately goes to money, wealth, fame, fortune, and everything else. And so you must not consider the success of Joseph. You must say the key to Joseph is the presence of God in his life. And the presence of God in his life ultimately made him a success. And it didn't matter what his current occupation was. It did not ultimately define where his life would end up as. So the key to Joseph was the presence of God in his life. 
I pray that I'm not defined by the success or failure of TWBC. I pray that I'm defined by the presence of God in my life and the amount of the presence of God I flow through my life. I want to be defined by that. And some of us, we need to open up our capacity for the presence. Because if it's the presence of God that defines Joseph and who he is, and it's the presence of God that defines me and who I am, I must become a larger container or carrier of the capacity of the Holy Spirit in my life. The presence of God in my life. Because listen, the Bible says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit where the presence of God resides? He resides in us. The problem is some of us are letting a teaspoon of the presence reside, wanting a mountain of miracles when we need to open up our capacity and begin to be buckets and dump trucks and carriers of the presence of God. And watch how God begins to use our life. Watch how he begins to use our life. Society dictates success like this. Success is occupation, associations, popularity, money, material things, and things that are accumulated. How much stuff we can gather up. How many toys we can actually have. Amen? That's determined what success is in society's standpoint. And we're even guilty of this in the church because we'll drive in a rich neighborhood and say, Woo, they sure are blessed. We'll drive in a poor neighborhood and say, Ooh, what's wrong with them? And literally, just because somebody has accumulated more material things doesn't dictate that they're more blessed than somebody who hasn't. Because biblical definition of success is success is determined by the presence of God in somebody's life. And if somebody rose up in a poor neighborhood, will just let the presence of God consume them, they'll become more successful than anybody who can accumulate a mountain of things. I can prove it to you because I just did in the story of the Bible. I can prove it to you because it's the story of my life. When we moved down here from Michigan when I was six, we were broke. I mean, we had nothing. Man, people gave us food and stuff so we could just make it down here. I know what, I, I know what peanut butter and cheese is all about. <laughs> but that did not determine whether I would ultimately be a success in this life or not. My parents embraced the presence of God and they said, we're going to trust God and we're going to stand on the promises of God and we're going to let the presence of God come into our family. And the presence of God is what determines success in your life. And we watched God do miracle after miracle after miracle in our life. And God began to move and continue to do amazing things. So the key to Joseph, I want to take off the word success for a minute because, because that's a byproduct of the presence of God. Okay, it's a resource, not the source, okay? And get your mind off success. The key to Joseph being who God called him to be, which ended up being prime minister of Egypt, was the presence of God in his life. Your answer to your sermon this morning is the presence of God is everything. It's everything in your life. And you better be willing to give up anything and anyone and everything for it. I'm talking break the bank on it. Sell out to get it. Go get all of the presence of God that you can. Your current situation. Hear me on this. Your current situation. Where you're at right now. Your current situation is not your final destination. Your current situation is not your final destination. Some of you in your pitiful broken up uh, excuse for a marriage right now. Your current situation. Can I get an amen? Is not your final destination. Amen. And success is going to be determined in your marriage by how much of the presence of God you let in it. Your kid that's a hoodlum right now and is running from God in the, for all he's worth or all that she's worth. Your current situation is not your final destination. 
You let the presence of God infiltrate your household and you break the bank to get it. And watch what God can do. I'm going to tell you your current situation is not your final destination because as you look at Joseph's life, in verse number 4 of chapter 37, he was hated by his brothers. In verse number 20, he was thrown into his well, into a well. In verse number 28, he was sold into slavery. In chapter 39, Potiphar's wife accuses him of rape. In verse, in chapter, in verse 20 of chapter 39, he's thrown into prison. In chapter 40, he's lied about and forgotten about in the dungeons of the prison itself. His current situation was not his final destination. And if some of you would get your head up out of your current situation and look to Jesus, he'll begin to show you your final destination. And he'll give you a promise. He'll bring to you a blessing. And he said, if you'll abide in me and my word abide in you, the presence can stay and I'll get you to your final destination. It doesn't matter what your current situation looks like. And I'm going to challenge you this morning that if you sold out the presence of God for overtime, you go get the presence of God back. If you've sold out your presence of God because you wanted to go to an extra sporting event, you go get the presence of God back. Whatever it takes, get the presence of God in your life because that's the only thing that will change where you're at. It took 13 years from the time God gave the promise to Joseph to the time he ended up to be in his final destination. It took 13 years from the current situation for him to reach the final destination. I'm challenging you, some of you ain't been in your marriage but seven or eight years. You got some more time. Let God work on it. Your current situation is not your final destination. Many times in this, we let circumstances dictate the gift, not the gift dictate the circumstance. I'm going to tell you again, we let circumstances dictate the gift, not the gift dictate the circumstance. Joseph, in his life, he was beat up by his family. He was thrown into a pit. He was sold into slavery. But yet, even in the midst of slavery, he still used the gift of God on the inside of him. He did not let his circumstance of slavery dictate the gift, but he said, in the midst of my slavery, I'm going to begin to use the gift because my current situation is not my final destination. And if I use my gift in the circumstance, he'll bring me to my destination. Come on now. Some of you in the midst of your marriage have become bitter and you quit using your gift of love and prayer and faith and study and the presence of God on your marriage because you came bitter with your circumstance and so you've neglected the gift. But if you'll pick the gift up and begin to utilize the gift, it'll change your circumstance and put you on path to your final destination. You must begin to embrace the gift of God in your life and use it generously. Use it generously and use it at all costs. Use it when you don't feel like using it. Come on now. Use it when your body doesn't feel like worshiping because you got here as service was starting and you hadn't even woke up yet and had your second cup of coffee. Use the gift of worship when you're not even awake. Come on. Listen, I'll remember a time, and I'm not saying this to brag on myself. It's because I do not let circumstances dictate my gift. My gift will dictate my circumstances, and I'll change the world I'm in. I'll remember a time. I was, it wasn't even in this building. It was when we were at our other building that held like 80 people. Come on. Look where God's brought us. Thank you, Jesus. Celebrate good times. God's brought us a long way. And I remember I walked in that morning, and I looked bad. I mean, it was bad, bad. Like, my face was pale. Had over 100-degree fever. We're in the midst of worship. I slipped out to the bathroom. I did a little vomiting action in the bathroom, came back in like nothing was wrong, got up and preached a message, went home and collapsed. I was not going to let my circumstance dictate my gift. 
I was going to let my gift dictate my circumstance. I will not hold back the gift of God. It doesn't matter what my circumstances are, and it doesn't matter how bad they are. I'm going, to re- I'm going to preach when people die, and I'm going to preach when people have victory. I'm going to preach in the midst of sickness, and I'm going to preach in the midst of health because I know my current situation, what the enemy is trying to stop me with, is not my final destination. And if I use my gift in my circumstance, my destination is right around the corner. Amen? And so you must begin to use your gift in the midst of the circumstances that you're in. Joseph used his gift in places he didn't want to be so God could take him to the place that he was destined to be. Come on, that's good. Joseph used his gift in circumstances and places he did not want to be so God could take him to the place that he was destined to be. If some of you will use your gift in a bad marriage, God can move it to a good marriage. If some of you will start using your gift in poor finances, God can make it a great financial situation. If you'll use your gift in places you don't want to be, God will get you to the place you're destined to be. I heard this story one time. A father had this great son, and he was a phenomenal basketball player. And the coaches and the scouts came in and said, why don't you bring him all over the nation and bring him to these camps where he can get exposure? And he said, when you're great, they'll find you. When you're great, they'll find you. Some of you need to just focus on being great and not being found. Some of y'all need to focus on being great in the presence of God, not just being found. You need to focus on greatness. Greatness in God's presence. Become, when you walk into the throne room of God, God will say, dang, I'm glad you're back. Not, oh, it's the first time you're here. Let me introduce you and show you around. (laughs) Come on now. That's good stuff. When you use your gift in places you don't want to be, God will take you to the places you're destined to be. Joseph didn't want to be a slave. Joseph didn't want to be uh, beat up by his brothers. He didn't want to be sold into Potiphar's house. He didn't want to be a slave in Potiphar's house. He didn't want to be accused of rape by Potiphar's wife. But he used his gift and kept using his gift in places he did not want to be because he knew that his current situation was not his final destination. And watch what God can begin to do. So Joseph's life finally gets good. It finally gets good. And he gets put over everything in Potiphar's house. But when you begin to move in the power of God, something happens. When you begin to operate in the gift, something takes place. Verse number, chapter 39, verse 7 picks up. It says, and Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. When you start using the gift of God, people take notice of who you are. He was handsome. People took notice of who he was. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. You know what that means, right? They're not taking a nap together, okay? Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, can I get a hand clap for he refused? Thank you, Jesus. A hand clap for he refused. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in his house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is, not greater in his, um, he is not greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything for me except for you, because you are his wife. And how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as, he spoke to, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to go be with her. Listen, when you start using and operating in the gifts God's given you, distractions, adversity, and temptation will cast their eyes upon you. Come on now. When you start operating in the gifts of God, distraction, adversity, and temptation will cast their eyes upon you. You notice you never notice something that's not moving? 
When you're driving down the road, you're just driving and driving, then you suddenly look up, and you say, hey, there's a bird, because you saw movement out of your peripheral. It drew your eyes to it. You cast your eyes on it, because there was movement. It's the same way in the spiritual realm. When you start moving in the things of God, every distraction, every temptation, uh, everything of adversity begins to say, hey, there's somebody moving. The problem is there's not a lot of body of Christ people moving. And so if you're sitting here thinking, huh, I've never really struggled with a lot of stuff. Start moving. You notice your body never hurts until you start exercising. Come on. Get some, <laughs> come on now. <laughs> your body doesn't start until you start exercising. Spiritually, you don't cause attention to be drawn to yourself until you start moving. And I know that we're a church that's moving. Come on, and God's doing amazing things. But we're not drawn aside by distractions, adversity, and temptations. Amen? I don't care how long they look at me. I'm not looking at them. <laughs> I'm looking at my, my father, the author, the finisher, and the perfecter of my faith. And so keep your eyes where God has called you. But when you start moving, you're going to attract attention in your life. Notice with the gift, there is never a place called Fiji. If you, if you know me, you know I love Fiji. If you notice with the gift, there is never a place called Fiji or a place of doing nothing. God didn't give you your gift to do nothing. And I'm telling you, when I plant a church in Fiji, go ahead and put up my casket because I'm about to go home. Because that's my place of doing nothing. Come on now. Some of y'all get that later once you get to know me. There is never a place in the kingdom of God for a place of doing nothing with the gift. There's never that place. That opportunity never arrives. There's not a place for doing nothing. Listen, God called the Israelites out of Egypt, a land of slaves, right? He called the Israelites out of Egypt, a land of slaves, to a place that he called the promised land, a land of giants. I'm going to say that again. He called the Israelites out of Egypt, a land of slaves, into the promised land, which is a land of giants. God called you to slay giants. Listen, he called them out of a land of slaves into a land of giants. So God promised you giants, but those who slay giants become kings. And Jesus said, I am king of kings, not king of slaves. He's got to get you out of Egypt to the land of giant slaying so he can declare you a king like he did David. So then he can say, I'm now king of kings, not king of slaves. Come on now. Some of you are wondering why you're facing this giant because he's trying to make you a king. He's trying to make you a king. And somebody say, I'm a king. And you shouldn't be afraid of giants because he said, I'm bringing you to the promised land and it's got giants in it, but I've already equipped you to drive them out. And so when you slay giants, you become a king. And I'm excited that I'm in a church of kings today, not a church of slaves. Amen. We're not bound by the things of this earth. The enemy's been defeated. Amen. Praise God. We can get back up here and start shouting again if we want to. Okay? When you get drawn out of the land of slaves, it's not to a place called Fiji where there's nothing in a do-nothing place. You're getting called into a land of giants, but those who slay giants become kings. And Jesus said, I'm king of kings. Somebody's got to receive that this morning. Because God says, I see kings all throughout this building, man and woman. I see kings throughout this building. And I'm ready for you to start slaying giants. Quit running back to a land of slavery. I'm calling you out of debt to be debt free physically and financially. To get out of the land of slavery. To go slay some giants and be free for the kingdom of God. Come on now. 
I'm calling you out of the land of health bondage issues, health bondages issues, whatever, <laughs> health bondages and issues to a place of divine health that 3 John 2 promises because I'm calling you out of the land of slavery to health issues into the land of giant slaying where you're healing people. See, kings have domain in a kingdom. And they can operate in the kingdom of God. When you're generous with your gift, it'll attract. When you're generous with your gift, it'll attract those who are in need of it. When you're generous of healing, with the gift of healing, you're going to attract a bunch of sick people. Jesus was generous with the gift of healing. He attracted sick people all day long. So if you've got a gift of healing in your life and you're not using it, you better start using it. But you better get ready for a bunch of sick people to come because you're going to start slaying the giant of sickness and, and rebuking the spirit of infirmity. It, listen, if God has given you the gift of teaching, and we're going to go through the gifts that we just read in Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. If God has given you the gift of teaching, get ready for God to surround you with a bunch of ignorant people. Can I get an amen on that? Just give me an amen. Ignorant simply means unlearned. I didn't say stupid and I didn't say dumb. Those are just everywhere. Amen? Come on. But ignorant people are who are people who have a desire to learn. So when you got the gift of teaching, people are going to come to you, so teach them. Be generous. Don't say, gosh, I can't believe you don't know this stuff already. Say, here's what I got. I'm going to be generous with what I got. My prayer that I pray for me all the time is, God, I want to I have pay, favor with people of wisdom, influence, and wealth, and they would be generous to me. They would teach me their wisdom. I don't have time to learn the slow road anymore. Come on now. I don't have that time in my life. And I'm not even old yet. Thank you, Jesus. When you have the gift of teaching, God's going to bring people around you who need teaching in their life. When you have the gift of exhortation and encouragement, don't be surprised when you're always running into mad, grumpy, depressed people. Woo, you need to break that off them and just say, hey, the joy of the Lord is my strength and get to shouting and say, how can I pray for you? And just let them start smiling and laughing and, and love on them and give them a hug and, and kiss them on the cheek and tell them Jesus loves you and I love you and, and God's got great plans for your life and your current situation is not your final destination. You can even quote that all you want. I don't care. But you got the spirit of joy on your life and this world desperately needs some joyful Christian believers that are kings to rise up. And walk in joy. Walk in that victory. I don't like a grumpy church. Come on, and y'all aren't grumpy. Praise God. I love that we get to have a good time in the house of God. If you got the gift of serving, get ready because people always need help. If you got the gift of serving and you own a pickup truck, you're going to have people call you to move every single weekend. I'm just saying. So don't get mad about it. Buy a Jeep and say, I don't have room. Come on. <laughs> Or get a trailer, something. <laughs> if you have the gift of service, get ready to serve and use it joyfully, baby. Come on. Because your current situation of service is not your final destination of service. You could be serving as a slave in Potiphar's house, but God's got plans and you're serving to bring you as prime minister of all of Egypt. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And listen, he was serving in there, but he was still serving the, 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 the Pharaoh of Egypt. It's just his level of service went up. So don't get so so listen, those of you who got the gift of service, I want to challenge you to use it with all your heart because you will get promoted faster than anybody else in the kingdom. 
Because people always want somebody who's willing to help and get them to where they're called to be. And that's what you're called to serve. God will get you where you're called to be by helping others get to them where they're called to be. Amen. Zig Ziglar said it best. If I get enough people called, if I help enough people get to where they're called to be, God will get me to where I'm called to be. I learned that at a young age of 13 or 14, and I've adopted that principle in my life. So when people want to go on mission trips, I'm like, how can I get you there? Get you out of here. Go around the world. I, I can miss your ugly face one Sunday a week in church. Go. Go. Y'all got beautiful faces. I'm just trying to keep you there. Get around the world. Prophecy. Prophecy. Come on. If you got it, use it. People come to you, hey, I'm just at a confused place in my life. I don't know my next step. And they always come to you asking for next steps. Well, good, prophesy, use it. Tell them the steps. Say, hey, the first thing you got to do is quit all that nonsense and get the presence of God in your life. Come on. And once the presence of God is there and you're willing to sell out everything to have the presence, then we can go to step number two. But until you get that down, I'm not giving you the key to number two until you operate in number one. Come on, and get the presence of God in people. If you got the gift of prophecy, let people have it. Be generous with it. Give people direction and instruction in how to get to the kingdom of God and, and what they're doing. You are promised giants when you are operating in the gifts. When you slay giants, you become a king. Jesus said, do this with your gifts. I always go back to what Jesus said. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. In other words, he's saying, don't keep your gift to yourself. Don't keep it to yourself. You got prophecy, don't leave it there. Don't leave it there. Use it. Because when you use it, you're laying up treasures in heaven, the Bible says. And it says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your treasure is anything other than the presence of God, your heart's in the wrong place. And you can say, Jesus, you're Lord of my life, you're in my heart, but if your treasure is not the presence of God, then your heart is not in the presence of God. Because he said, what you treasure is where your heart's going to be. And listen, you can fool people all day long, but you can't fool God. And if my treasure is not the presence of God, God will expose that in my life. And I believe God's a gentleman. He's not just going to call me out in front of everybody. He's going to say, Joel... Listen, I, 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 I'm telling you through my spirit that you got an issue. Your treasure's off a little bit. You need to get back here where your treasure is the presence of God, not the things that happen in the presence of God. Because here's the thing. I know that miracle signs and wonders happen at our church, and they do it all the time. But i got to make sure I'm caught up in the presence, not the signs and the wonders. <laughs> because the signs and the wonders are supposed to follow me, not me follow it. And, 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 and I'm not going to lie. There's awesome things that happen on Sunday morning. I'm like, whoo, the signs and the wonders. And God said, it's not about the signs and the wonders. It's about my presence. It's about my presence. The key to Joseph's success was not what he did or what he had. It was the presence of God in his life. The key to Joseph, the key to me, the key to Steve, the key to Tim, the key to Allie, the key to Sarah is not success. It's Jesus. It's the presence. But if in your life you're off kilter and something's greater or more valuable than the presence of God, you'll come into the same place Joseph was 
And when he was hated by his brothers, you'll forsake the presence for approval of people. If his presence is not your treasure. If his presence is not your treasure, when you're thrown into a well, you'll give up on the gift because momentary comfort is more important than the final destination. If his presence is not your treasure, when you're thrown into a tough place, you'll give up on the presence because momentary comfort is more important than the final destination. I don't know about you, but when I read these and continue to read these, I find myself being guilty of all of them. I find myself being guilty of all of them at some point in my life. He was sold into slavery. Rather than sold into, he truly became a, you'll truly become a slave to. When you give up on the presence of God, what you're sold into, you'll become a slave to. Like I'm saying, if you compromise the presence of God in your life for a moment of inhibition, whatever you'd like to do, what you sell into is what you become a slave to. The presence of God is the only thing that can draw you back out of it in your life. If the presence of God is the key to everything that you do, his wife accused him of rape. When you bow down to people because of their threats and forsake the presence, you become subject to the people you bow down to. When your boss tells you to cheat or to lie or to steal or do something, when you bow down because of his threats or her threats or their threats or whatever threats they may be, you now become subjected to them or a subject of them. But don't forsake the presence of God because of somebody else's threats in your life. Don't forsake the presence of God when you're thrown into a prison, prison becomes reality and not just a stopping place when the presence of God isn't there. Prison becomes a reality, not just a stopping place if you don't have the presence of God. And listen, what you look as a setback, God could be using as a setup. What you look as, as a setback, and Joseph looked at all these things and said, this is a setback. God, I was integrity towards you. I was, I was a person of honesty towards you. I ran. I didn't stay with the woman. God, I ran and I did what was right. And now I'm thrown into this place that was worse off than I was. What we look at as a setback, God says, it's just a setup. <laughs> because if he wasn't in the prison, he would have never met the baker and the cupbearer. He wouldn't have met the baker and the cupbearer. But even when people forget, God never forgets. And I'll say it like this, when people don't remember what you've done for them, God never forgets what you've done in your acts of righteousness. Because if you remember the baker and the cupbearer, they go before the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh kills one and lets the other one live. And a few years later, Pharaoh says, is there anybody who can interpret this dream? And one of them says, I remember a guy who has a gift that he used in a dark place. And the gift that he used in a dark place years earlier in that current situation now set him up for his final destination. And what, God, and what man has to remember, God never forgets and God can change your situation overnight. He can change your situation overnight. I want to close like this. The good things you do, the things you do with your gifts right now in private, there will be a day that God honors them in public. The gifts you do not me preaching in front of people, but when I see the lady at Walmart, and I really wanted to buy her Dr. Pepper, because I knew she liked Dr. Pepper. I knew she did. And I couldn't do it. But I got to give her something greater. Those things you do in private, 
They may, forget, they may not remember, but God never forgets. And if you'll be faithful in this situation where you don't want to be, God will get you to the place where you're destined to be. And the key to Joseph is the presence of God in his life. God worked on me about six months ago when I was starting to prepare for this series. And he said, are you willing to give everything up for the presence of God? Your dignity, the way you worship, your status in the community, your church. Would you give every bit of it up for my presence? And it broke me. Because I had to readjust my treasure. I had to readjust my treasure. Because he said, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And I had to readjust my treasure. And I'm, I'm, I'm being honest with you as the church. And I'm confessing before you that there are times in my life when i got to readjust because the presence of God gets pushed to the side for a treasure that's not him. And today, if you're in that place, I want you to just pull the readjustment switch. And I'll give it all up gladly for the presence of God. Every bit of it. Because if I don't have his presence, success isn't even an option, number one, but I'm not me. The key to Joseph was the presence. The key to Joel is the presence. And when I'm years gone down the road, I pray that people, they may remember my face, but they remember his presence.